Welcome everyone to the very brand new episode of Financially Turbulent. I'm so excited for this one, especially because we're going to get into a lot of things, especially relating to how to get into your very first job, what to expect and what are some challenges you can face. Now, I know we were supposed to come out with this episode last week, but again, like I said last time, we are brown. We had more events to attend. <laughs> so I think now that October has come to an end and November is here, we should see a little bit of a more laid back schedule up until Christmas time. That's when we're going to get a little bit more busy as well. But uh, until then, here we are ready to present. So Kanwar, what do we have in store? For sure. Herman, I think you pretty much mentioned most of it already. Um, it was actually feedback from one of our listeners, Sahil. So I thank you, Sahil, for uh, you know taking the time out of your day to give us some feedback. Uh, Sahil gave us feedback in terms of uh, what he liked about the episode, certain things we could change. Obviously, everything is constructive at the end of the day. Uh, we're happy to receive any sort of feedback because there's obviously changes we want to incorporate to make sure you guys like listening to us as well. Um, and the episode today is going to be about what to expect in your first professional job. Uh, right out of university, right out of college, maybe right out of the trade sector, and how do you adapt to that particular job? How do you grow yourself? How do you, you know, learn the ins and outs of the company you're working for to better yourself to progress your career and get promoted, either with that organization or outside of that organization? I know, like, especially when you're fresh out of college, fresh out of university, in this day and age, it's quite overwhelming trying to see, okay, what are some career paths you can pursue? What's the entire process of, let's say, going through all of these multiple interviews that are happening for even very basic jobs now? Because the, the employers are really trying to filter out the very best candidates for their positions. So in this time and age, it's even more important to be prepared and to have everything ready so you're pretty much one of the top candidates for the job. So what would you say are some of the things that, let's say some professional that's coming out of college should keep in mind? For sure. I mean, a lot of the times now when we're applying for jobs or even LinkedIn and other um, job boards, they tend to give us this figure beside the position that says what to expect is your salary range. Um, right out of university, or right out of school, I would say that's kind of the least important thing. Yeah. It's more about just locking in a position where you know you can develop your skill sets, get some professional experience, work with individuals that have been in the industry for years on end. Um, you know, learn some skills back and forth. They maybe they can learn something from you. More more than likely, you're going to be the one learning from them. Um, and then the last aspect, in my opinion, will be to consider the pay because obviously with time, experience, and as you progress your career, the pay will come with. Uh, future roles yeah for sure especially in regards to pay i do know there's discussion happening within the ontario government about making um pay ranges or at least the pay scales mandatory on job postings mm -hmm. at least at this time whenever we're on uh, uh, websites like indeed monster.com or even linkedin oftentimes they won't really tell you what your pay is going to be for a specific position right at least in ontario now that conversation is starting to happen so going forward if it comes into uh if it becomes reality then at least for all the younger professionals like yourself you guys will have a rough idea how much you'll be making for each of the positions you're applying for and that'll help you manage your expenses and uh essentially figure out what your overall 
livelihood is going to be like and with that position in mind, right? Of course. And just to kind of add on there, Harmon, I mean, going back to what I said, it shouldn't, obviously pay is important. You don't want to work for a company that's yeah. going to pay you pennies to the dollar. You want to make some decent money, uh, at least for you to survive, get to work for your commute or have extra cash to invest on the side. As, as the name speaks, financially turbulent. You don't want to be going through turbulent times. You want exactly. to be able to invest Especially now. Exactly. Um, so yes, yeah, so it's kind of going back per, from speaking from personal experience. When I started my first job right out of university, um, pay wasn't really big of a thing to me. It was more or less about the company that I worked for, the experience I was going to gather or collect rather for a better choice of words from that particular uh, role. And then in about a year, I actually switched over to another organization, the bank that I'm currently with, and I saw about a 50% increase in my pay. So that one year of suffering through the lower pay, as I, as you, you know, most of us might not want to, it really helped me position myself and differentiate myself than you know someone that waited on for an extra six, seven, eight months to get that job that might have paid them the higher dollars at the time. Yeah, and especially for something like this, there's always outliers. There are caveats because everyone has a little bit of a different strategy when it comes to this, right? Of course, for both of us, experience mattered a little bit more. But depending on your financial situation, your first job, you really might need the cash, right? Just because of the way your family situation might be. Maybe you're the only one supporting your bills entirely. You have student loans to pay back. So pay really is an important factor. But at least when it comes to um, gathering experience, there are thankfully jobs in the marketplace that can pay you a lot of money and also help you develop your skill. So at least for me, thankfully, my first job was something like that, where I was able to make a good living and also gain a lot of good experience and exposure within uh, the employee uh, for the employer that I was working for. But uh, what was your experience like, Hanwar? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'll just kind of go back to my thing of uh, I didn't have that, obviously, that financial difficulty or anything along the lines of where I couldn't support myself. I was living uh, comfortably. You know, I was able to pay off all my bills, pay off my student loan in time with that first particular position. Uh, but apart from that, you know, I really took the time to make sure that right out of university, had a position i did not have that gap in my resume exactly that employers will look at and be like hey how come you know there's eight nine months where you just haven't worked was it maybe you know they, they tend to question you on was it employers turning you back uh was it something you're lacking in terms of a a potential candidate for the position they're hiring for so i really wanted to fill that gap and yeah. you know get ahead of myself take on that role and yeah definitely especially not having a gap can be very very beneficial but one thing to note is even if you do end up getting a gap within uh, from the time that you've graduated university all the way up until your first job, it's very, very important for you to document why the gap existed and what you had done during that gap. Right. So oftentimes, if you're able to get to the interview for the job that you applied for, you can explain that situation to the employer. And a lot of those individuals are empathetic towards that. Right. It could be that during the time uh, that uh, you had the gap, you were acquiring some additional certifications, mm -hmm. which could be really valuable towards the role that you're applying for. And if you are able to mention those things or document those things for the employer, and present some evidence 
that can really help you even though you might have a, a crazy amount of gap like six months one month or even 12 12 months right exactly. so that's something to keep in mind as well so just to kind of add on to what Harvin said, um, you know, employers aren't your enemies at the end of the day. They don't yeah. look down upon you when you're applying for a role. Um, they do empathize with you. You know, certain times they're just factors out of our control, like family emergencies. It could be other financial difficulties that could be holding you back. You just have some other things to take care of. Um, so in that aspect, you know, really documenting or even trying your best to learn something, a new skill, maybe taking on a voluntary role on the side really goes to show that, you know, you're not just you're a go getter. You want to go ahead and learn those skills before you even take on a particular role. You're not just sitting there hand on hand waiting for the employer to reach out to you via LinkedIn or, for example, or waiting for the right role to come out, which is going to be down the line, down the future. So taking those steps now shows the employer that you're really want to work for them and you're the potential candidate they should go for yeah so especially when it comes to the interview process like kanwar said most of these employers they're not your enemies oftentimes the individual you're going to be meeting i.e the hiring manager or someone in hr they're there to kind of understand your position of course depending on the position you're applying for it can be really competitive some of the interviews can either be just about assessing your personality. Some could be really technical in terms of analyzing what kind of knowledge you have for the role, right? I know you might have had some technical interviews. You might have had some uh, behavioral interviews. Um, that's why a lot of the employers are going through rounds now. So first one will be just general assessment on your skill set. Other ones would be to assess whether you'd be a good team player. Another one would be to actually get into the nitty gritty of how much knowledge you have for the role. And then right near the end, they'll pretty much decide if they want to go ahead with you for the role or not. Right. So each each job is a little bit different. What would you say kind of where your experience was like, especially as you were climbing up the corporate ladder within the banks? For sure. Yeah. Um, some of the things, you know, that where key takeaways for me is really being proactive and taking the required steps before. Um, so rather than just, you know, waiting for the opportunity to present itself, go ahead and create that opportunity. For example, when I worked for my first uh, position with CIBC Mellon, um, I was just a junior entry level custody specialist uh, working for institutional investment clients, pretty much in a basic role of introduction you can call it to the banking sector and it wasn't really getting my gears turning i was like okay this this helps me you know get some money coming in pay off those loans get some experience under my belt but what can i really do to make myself stand out and that's yeah. when i was you know uh, starting to research things like how to get into capital markets how to look into the uh, financial markets types of, types of roles sorry um, so I started uh, taking on the CSC courses, you probably remember. Exactly. If you guys Covers. remember from our last episode, <laughs> we talked about this. Exactly. So that's when I was like, okay, you know, this is a course I can take, pay $1,500 out of pocket comfortably, and it's not going to hurt my hurt my bank in the grand scheme of things because spending $1,500 now is really going to give me the edge and allow me to earn twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 more in my next role. Yeah. So I guess one of the first actionable items is, of course, researching the role that you're applying for, researching the employer a little bit, 
getting an understanding from previous employees if you're able to connect with them on what kind of expectations the employer has during the interviewing process right that way you can kind of set up a plan for yourself let's say if you need to brush up on some of the technical verbiage you can know that so you can pretty much talk with that verbiage during the interview and maybe impress the hiring manager hr really let them know that you know what you're talking about that's a good point that harman just said it's about learning the key industry terms when you're going to an interview and you're just talking like a leadman from the sidelines using a very basic terminology, you're less likely to stand out than someone that's really using verbs that are sorry words rather that are going to be used in your role every single day or in that particular industry. Exactly. Like on real estate, we have so much lingo that's really basic to us, but it's not really something that a normal individual would understand right same thing within the financial industry for yourself so it's great to have a casual conversation with someone that's sitting uh, opposite of you and making the hiring decision but it, if you're able to actually present that you have some of the industry knowledge with the industry terms and let's say industry trends that are happening you can kind of pretty much Set your set, set yourself up for success. Right on. And obviously, I have a quick question now for you as well, because before you kind of took off into the world of real estate, you started yeah. taking over this pre-con, becoming the pre-con king. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're on the way. You're on the way for sure. Exactly. Um, you know, when you started at your first co-op, being the first professional job that you did, I know you did two co-op terms at Brock. Yeah. Um, what was kind of the mindset that you went in with? Was there something you were looking to take out of this particular role? Um, certain skills that you were either bringing in or wanting to take out? You know, give me a little more information on what you really thought about. So for me, I'll kind of talk about the co-op experience in general, right? For a lot of us, that at least within Brock, and if you're talking to Canadian university students that maybe went to Waterloo, that have these uh, co-op job boards provided by the university. A lot of the times when you have your first co-op coming up, the, the co-op uh, advisors will actually tell you to apply to practically every single job, right? To maximize the success for your um, co-op experience, pretty much. But uh, for me, when I was actually going for co-op and making the decision, okay, which companies I want to work for, I at least was very mindful in terms of which companies I would like to work with, what kind of skill sets I have that could complement, and uh, if I didn't have those skill sets, how could I acquire those skill sets? So unlike my peers, when it came to applying for jobs where people were applying for 100, 200 jobs during co-op times, I know maybe you might have done that as well. I luckily didn't have to do that much because I applied to maybe three dozen jobs that I thought would have been a good fit for me. I thought I had a very good skill set to pretty much complement the job. And on the side, I was also learning additional things like you were learning CSC. I was educating myself a lot on some complex Excel, uh, Excel programming and all those other things, right? Because in university, while you're in business school, you're going to learn business terminology, all these other things, but they don't really go through the actual day-to-day -day work, which is actually using Excel to 
manipulate data, pre-process data, and essentially using it to analyze the information. Right? So I think that was a big skill set that was missing from university. And I spent a lot of time during the time I was applying for co-op to uh, gain that knowledge set for myself. And that's ultimately what ended up becoming very useful when I applied to all these different jobs and I went to the interviews. They really were impressed by how much I actually knew about Excel and manipulating data. So a lot of the things they would have actually taught me at the job I already knew. And that is ended up, that is ultimately what ended up giving me uh, a heads up compared to my competition during my first co-op. So especially for me back then, I was very interested in becoming a financial analyst myself. You were as well. You carried through with that. Uh, I had uh, the experience at FedEx. I loved the job um, and I pretty much studied what are the different things that the job would have required. And based on that, I learned what the industry terms were, at least within the operations sector for FedEx. And uh, that's ultimately what ended up uh, impressing the financial, senior financial analyst that was uh, interviewing me and my hiring manager for my department. So for me, it was more so being selective in terms of what I wanted to go for. And uh, because I was selective, I had a little bit more time to assess, okay, what are some key skills I need to acquire in order to make uh, that job work and be successful in the interview and the job itself. I know other people have a different strategy. Sometimes they're not so much successful with the strategy I applied. I can say luck played a little bit of a part and also the way I communicate played into uh, whether or not I was able to get the role or not. Right. So at least that was my experience. Um, I don't know what was yours. You can tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Yes. I mean, you kind of covered most of the bases there. I kind of have a, a three to four step process. On, yeah. You know what to expect at a job takeaway should be at the end of that particular role now it, it can't just be that role sometimes you might just decide to stick with the company in that exactly. particular role but those are annual goals at the end of, at the end of the year at the sorry at the end of the year you're going to sit down with your manager or sit down with yourself and self-reflect see what you achieved see what you could achieve in the upcoming years um so pretty much what to you know the kind of the head the mindset i went in with in my first co-op and my first professional job right out of university was learning the rules you know what are the expectations for me being a new team member um what does my team expect what does my manager expect what does this employer expect from me and then building relationships because i was just entering the professional field i wanted to really leverage um you know my interpersonal skills to have relationships so i can have future positions lined up for myself and it's not always professional at the end of the day sometimes you just want to have a personal relationship with someone um out which could be outside of work and they can be like a mentor to you or they can be like a coach and they can point you in the right direction to allow, you know, to help you out with uh, any future positions you want to apply for. Yeah. And then last but not least, you want to deliver results, not just any kind of results because chances are if I'm delivering results, my coworkers probably do the exact same thing. But you want to go above and beyond looking for processes, how to make them more efficient. Um, you know, what can you really do for your manager or your team to make sure that the time, the work that you were doing is done in a timely fashion and done with 
complete efficiency and complete effectiveness free of any errors. Yeah, so documenting the work you do in university and even in the job is actually a very, very key, key point you guys need to remember. Because oftentimes we do work in university that's very, very significant. We could be working on a project where we developed a new skill or we um, maybe worked with a professor or co-workers to develop something. But you never really note that kind of achievement down. It could be very, very small, but you never actually know when that experience can come into play in an interview process. Because especially when you're working a new job or let's say even if you worked a non-corporate job, right? It could be anything. It might be that uh, you worked a customer service job, but you found some inefficiencies within the customer service experience at the time, and you were able to improve that for the employer at that time, right? And you can literally talk about that experience with the new employer in your new um, corporate uh, environment. And you can kind of communicate to them that, hey, this is this was the problem this is how i was able to solve it and because of that solution the company benefited in x way right so you have you identify the problem you identify the solution and you identify the benefit to the employer what that ultimately prevents and shows your new employer is that you're able to identify problems you're able to you're a problem solver essentially and if there's something wrong with their current systems you'll be able to make the company more efficient, right? That kind of works in a variety of ways. It can be within the financial side. It can be for whatever role you're applying for. For me, when I was at FedEx, I realized that while FedEx had a very robust system when it came to operations, it's a miracle how that company operates, but they had a lot of inefficiencies, at least within my department. And with literally within the first month, I ended up automating a lot of the things that FedEx was doing within my department. And something that used to take a person literally six hours to do, I was able to do it within uh, 10 to 15 minutes, right? It's ultimately where the Excel education that I was talking about came into handy because a lot of the people that were using the programs never used things like macros in Excel. And because I was very, very, um, I had that skill set, I was able to automate a lot of my work, uh, work in that sense. And not only did that save a lot of time for the company, it also gave me more time to look into things that I want to do. Maybe things that I want to learn. That's how ultimately I ended up getting more involved in the IT side of FedEx. And that's what unlocked my passion for information systems and building systems as well. Yes, and you point out a great thing here pretty much, you know, as you said, uh, finding those inefficiencies, they do exist in all companies. And they're usually overlooked simply because there haven't been new hands or new minds that have joined the company uh, quite recently. And then, or the workforce that they're just have at the time is either just so used to the process that they've been carrying out that they tend to oversee it, um, you know? Kind of similar to my time at CIBC Mellon, a lot of the people I was working with were in their late 50s, early 60s, approaching that retirement age, you know. And then when I joined in, I was right out of university uh, at, at the age of 19, 20. So you look at things with a complete different lens. So I was able to 
automate, make some processes faster, which really allow me to stand out from my team. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Especially, especially automation, because they can take, sometimes the kind of automation you're making, it might take you three weeks, a month, two months to kind of even figure out how you're going to automate that workflow, right? right. But once it's done, the amount of time that you end up saving, it's, it's not linear. It's literally cumulative in a sense, right? Because the amount of time you save that can be dedicated some towards something that you actually enjoy. For me, I ended up learning a lot within the within the FedEx structure. I w I ended up working on projects uh, for project management. I ended up uh, working in on the IT side. I ended up working a little bit more closely on the external finance because I was mainly hired for internal finance department. And there were so many other opportunities that were unlocked because they had originally hired me for tedious work. But because I was able to figure that out, it opened more doors for me within that company. It's like you created your own opportunity. Exactly. Much, using your wealth of knowledge. Yeah. All right. That's good uh, knowledge that you shared me, Harman. But I just want to move kind of our focus towards the next part of uh, this particular button um, is how do you adapt to the change? You know, going right out of university, right out of school, how do you adapt to the change of strictly having a set schedule of going to class, studying for exams, or just chilling with your friends, to spending eight hours at work every single day, you know, 40 hours a week? How do you adjust to that? How did you adapt to that? See, I would say it kind of depends on your environment. For some people, that kind of change is very, very, easy compared to sticking to a university schedule where you're going for classes for maybe three hours and then you have the entire day to yourself or you have the freedom if you want to study you work on the project or whatever the case may be for working a lot of people let's say if you already have an office that you need to go to that physical separation between your home and the office is pretty much enough for a lot of people to put them in the zone to work for that entire eight hours and then carry on with their lives, right? Other people, they require a little bit more motivation. So it kind of just depends on building a schedule for yourself. Even if you're going to be working for eight hours, let's be honest, you're not going to be working for the entire eight hours. The eight hours is basically scheduled for you to finish the work. But if you're really good at what you do, it might only take you three hours to pretty much complete the work for me at FedEx at least I used to be able to finish my work within the very first three to four hours before lunch and then I literally used to have the entire day to okay figure out what is something what is a major project I want to work on right that might be the case for you if you're working in a software um, development side you might be really good at coding you might be a really fast typer compared to another person who's not, you might actually end up finishing your work within half the time that's allocated to you, right? Because software development is also very project-based compared to, let's say, just putting in your hours. Right. So if you're able to do that, all power to you, you don't need to be in that work zone for the entirety of eight hours. The next hours, uh, the remaining hours that uh, you have after you finished your work, you can look into more opportunities, either for your own self growth or something you can do to benefit the company. 
because that kind of uh, that kind of uh, initiative can actually end up bringing you more opportunities within the company or another company, right? Maybe you can add some more for me, for more sure. input into that. For sure. I'm just going to share my personal experience when I first started my co-op at uh, Connectrix. Mm-hmm. I, I know you remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, it was kind of more or less for me going in with the mindset of, okay, what am I going to learn today at work? Yeah. You know, um, it's a break from school. I'm on co-op for eight months. Uh, you know, you get to get ready at eight in the morning. Go meet some professionals that have been working in the field for 20, 30 years. Um, and learn some things off of them. Yeah. So going in with that mindset of, all right, so what's what's going to be my project today? What will I learn at the end of the day? And things like that, keeping a positive mindset really allowed me, um, you know, to, to go into work every single day with a positive attitude. And then at the end of that co-op, I was really able to reflect back and look at what I actually had learned. And that that helped me in securing my next position at Toronto Hydro as an analyst. So those certain skill sets, um, certain you know what to say. Certain skill sets. I mean, of course, uh, I know exactly what he means. That when you're actually speaking to people that have already been in the company for so long, or that have been in the industry for so long, you're able to get a better understanding of the career path you have ahead of you, right? And actually building those connections, you actually you never really know when and where those connections are going to play a key part in you securing your next role because at least now in real estate i meet someone that i could have just connected with for the time being maybe a couple of months ago but a year two years down the line they might actually know someone that plays a direct part in the transaction that i'm having right now you might actually know people that do construction that actually can connect with me for the property that I'm to sell, trying to sell, that's absolutely trash and needs renovations, right? I may have met you five months ago and maybe it was just a higher buy, but because you had talked about, let's say, the circle you're around or the transactions you do, maybe you were already in the investment side and you do real estate transactions where you flip properties, dismantle them, make new ones. That kind of connection can play a part in something that uh, you're doing in the future. And it's definitely true in the corporate side as well. A lot of people job hop these days. So someone that you're working with today could easily be a reference for another company in case they're working there when you end up applying there too. Exactly. It's like building a network, but not on LinkedIn. This is an yeah. actual personal network you're building with people, right? It's, like it's connections that I know someone that knows someone. Yeah. I mean, LinkedIn, me LinkedIn is great too. And it's something I kind of wish I had done back when I was in university. I know a lot of the co-op advisors were very, very heavy. Uh, heavy in terms of advising us to use LinkedIn. So Unfortunately for me, and kind of fortunately for me too, I never really needed LinkedIn to connect with people. I always met people, at least based on how my circles were. I have a very fairly diverse circle, even in university and outside of it. I was able to network with people through that sense, right? But I never really had or needed the LinkedIn connections and all those other things. But in case you don't have a circle like that, 
LinkedIn is one of the most powerful platforms outside of Instagram and uh, Facebook these days to connect with people you don't know, especially because LinkedIn directly tells you. You can literally search the job role you're applying for and it will be, it will literally bring up all the different people in the industries. Right on. And you're able to connect with them, you're able to message them, ask questions, set expectations on the role that you're applying for, get advice in terms of how to be successful in the role and what to expect in terms of job growth, right? There's so much you can do and it's something you should definitely leverage on LinkedIn. And just to add on there as well, like leveraging, when you say leverage on LinkedIn, you can actually reach out to recruiters, you can reach out to people exactly. that have worked in the industry. And you know, it, it might you might feel weird doing it, but you can actually schedule a chat, for example. It could be virtual, it could be an in-person chat, and that really allows you to get yourself out there, you know, put yourself out there and then build that network, build that connection. So that way in the future, let's just assume you're applying for a similar role or you're applying for the same company as this particular individual you've talked to, they can either put in a good word or if they are the recruiter, they already know the skills you're going to bring or the type of person you are. Not nine times out of 10, when a company is hiring someone, skills do matter to them, but it's about personality as well. Is this person going to be a good fit on this team? They don't want to hire someone that has 10 on 10 in skills, but is a total jerk when you're working with them, right? Exactly. You want to have a team player, but you also want to have someone that can work independently as well. Because nine times out of 10, you're going to be working in these environments where you might have some group work or you're going to have to do some individual work as well. And you do need to be versatile and such. So if you're presenting yourself on this, as you say, social network, this is more of a professional social network. Yeah. You're presenting only your professional side the skills you have, the experience you have, um, maybe the volunteer work you're doing for the community, or, I mean, you can also talk about any sort of projects you've done in school. Exactly. And how they position you to be a better person for the corporate world or for that particular role you're applying to. I mean, it's amazing how powerful the platform actually is. Like I mentioned, you're able to search for people. And in some cases, they literally have their entire resumes uploaded on LinkedIn which you're free to download and actually use as a reference when you're creating your own resume. And especially because you have so many people that's available, you're able to kind of see what kind of common certifications and common skill sets they have, right? So especially as a new person that's graduating right from university or you're even applying for your co-op, very first co-op, you get an idea of what kinds of things you should be working towards while you're in university. Because again, keep in mind, uni is there to give you a basic understanding of what's gonna happen in the real world. But realistically, the actual role that you're going to be uh, partaking in has nothing to do with uh, whatever you actually learned in university. I know that was true for me when I started working at FedEx and Ministry of Transportation, even real estate after getting the license. I know it's an assumption, but I can guarantee it was definitely true for you too. Exactly. Whatever you learned at the university had nothing to do with what you actually ended up doing in your degree. It kind of counts as a step in the ladder, Exactly. Right? At the end of the day, it's just a stepping stone where, okay, then now this has become a requirement if you want to work in the corporate world. Exactly. Even if you want to have like your own business, for example, you just want to have a degree under your name. 
I mean, luckily for companies like Google and stuff, last time I remember, they don't require degrees anymore, right? They're more so looking towards what kind of projects you're working for, what, what your experience is like, what kind of, uh, whether it's life experience or even, let's say, technical job experience, right? They're taking all those factors into consideration now when hiring employees because they get like almost 100,000 applications, I believe. And out of that, they're maybe hiring like 10 or 15 people for their roles. Exactly. Now, we're not right. saying just because Google's looking for, for people that don't need university degrees, don't go to university. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just there's only a handful of companies that are really changing the positioning towards when they're looking for that ideal candidate. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, university degree will benefit you in the sense that it point is, <laughs> point is don't just rely on university <laughs> or college. Look into what is actually done within your industry and what makes that process easier, right? There's a lot of jobs like consulting that uh, some of my friends are starting to go into. Now, depending on the type of consultant they are, they either need to have a strong understanding of data analytics. They either need to be, either need to have a decent understanding of accounting, depending on their role, or they need to have a decent understanding of, let's say, software development, right? So especially when it comes to roles uh, within consulting or any other type of uh, industry like that, you might have some additional certification again. We've been hammering down about certification for the since the start of the podcast, and it's for a reason because something like a data analytics certification that's entirely administrated by Google and IBM and only costs you around hundred two hundred dollars to acquire that can have a major major impact on you actually being reached out to by recruiters on LinkedIn, right? And that could be a difference between you working at a job that where you're earning around $40,000 to now having a brand new role, which you were approached for. And now you're maybe making 60 to $70,000, right? And these could literally be entry level jobs in a lot of cases. Differences in university, well, yes, we earn, learn things like data analytics or finance or anything like that. And the reason we're talking mainly about finance is because that's what we're familiar with, right? But it could be true in yourself for, let's say, design or graphic design or software development or art, anything like that, right? Key investments, let's say, in accessories or other items people should make when they're either applying for a role in the corporate side or actually they've already even started working for sure most definitely i guess you know we can start with the first step being the interview process um when you are interviewing for multiple companies you know first thing is the first impression is the last impression yeah. you know when, it, when you go into an interview the employer or the manager that's hiring you um, it's going to judge you based off of the way you look. So making sure you look presentable. Yeah. You have a suit that's well pressed, well ironed. Yeah. Um, shirt that's free of wrinkles, and also make sure you are wearing a tie. Yeah. It's never harmful to overdress, but yeah. it is harmful to underdress. You don't exactly. want to be that candidate that's going to stick out because you wore sneakers with your suit, or you wore no tie with uh, with a suit. <laughs> I mean, I mean, depending on your industry, that can definitely be the dress code. But sure. at least on the interview side, 
You should present your best foot forward. You should be dressed professionally. Like he said, have a tie on, make sure all the attire is well pressed and wrinkle free. And just making sure that you look good in general, right? You have to make yourself presentable because that's essentially the ultimate image you're presenting of yourself to the employer when you go for the interview. Exactly. Now right? that may change with being with the company three to four years down the road. It may be a little more laid back now. They've seen that professional side of yours, that you're just there now for the knowledge you bring to the team. Yeah. But especially even after getting the role, for example, you don't want to pull up to work, you know, wearing sweats, for example. Yeah. Unless it's, you know, jeans are usually the standard for Fridays. And Sometimes world. there's room for comfort. Exactly. Definitely, you can even get dress shirts and dress pants that are very comfortable. That can feel like literally wearing pajamas. But you have to make sure that you're kind of following the company culture at that point. Now, especially for young professionals like us, when you're in university, depending on the program you're in, you might have never even owned a suit, right? Or you might never have even needed, a, or you weren't never simply in the environment where you, where you needed to dress professionally. But prior to the interviews, take a couple of days to kind of figure out your style, uh, figure out attires that's within your style, but also looks uh, very professional, at least corporate professional, right? And that way you're able to practice yourself being in that uh, attire and presenting yourself well during the interviews. And that can go a long way, at least I think so, right? And I would say one thing to invest in is a custom suit. There's going to be that's, events that's, that's down, down the line. That's down, down the line, line. but even even when you're going, they to don't have five grand <laughs> to drop. I'm not that. saying go for a five grand suit. You could get a custom suit that's a little on the cheaper side. Yeah, you know, it could range from four to five hundred, maybe a little more. But roughly <laughs> within Canada, they're gonna cost you around fifteen hundred bucks. It depends on what kind of fabrics you use. But ultimately, what I would say is that's an investment you make as you progress in your career, right? Because at least for men, everyone's shoulders, everyone's weight, height is a little bit different. Something that you get off the rack can work for a lot of people. I know it doesn't work for me, right? So if I were to get a custom suit, I would look my best. I would present, I'll be, uh, I would practically present my best, right? And I would feel my best as well because I know I look good and everything fits me just right. And, and that can carry- good, You feel more confident. You exactly. You yourself even better. And that kind of confidence just radiates off a person, right? When someone feels like they don't look the greatest, they're also going to act a little bit closed off, not to be the center of attention. Exactly. Whereas someone that knows they look good, they're okay with putting themselves out there. At least that's true for the most part, right? there's always exceptions but at least within the corporate side it makes sense to look your best feel your best because then you will present your best right so i think those are some of the key takeaways at least uh, when we think about the interviews so sure. i think we'll kind of round it back a little bit in terms of the key takeaways we've talked about so far one is of course being educated on the company and role that you're applying for second is making sure depending on the skill sets uh, that the company or role needs you're developing those skill sets for yourself either through certifications 
um, clubs that you join to gather some experience within that field or anything like that, right? And then the third one would essentially be making sure that you're presenting your best within the interviews and any additional things that you'd like to add to that. For sure. I mean, you pretty much summed it all up. I just kind of go back to my three to four step process that I have, um, you know, when what to expect with your jobs and how to yeah. adapt to all this is wrapping it all up here. Pretty much, you know, you want to really learn the rules when you join. You want to know what your what the employer is expecting of you. You want to build relationships because eventually down the line, you're going to move forward to a new role. You're going to look for growth. You want to have someone that you can bounce back off of, maybe some skills you've shared with them or projects you've done with them and they can be a reference, put in some good word for you, or they may be even able to help you um, connect with someone else that can help you get a future role. Yeah. And last would be delivering results, going over and beyond, over delivering, being the efficient employee, looking for key inconsistencies at work and really um you know looking at things with the lens to see what you can do to help your team and department grow so you can stand out and get it at the end of the day get a good reference for that particular yeah. employer yeah so pretty much just make sure at least when you're within university or college or any even let's say if you didn't go to college or university the the key thing to actually work on when you are applying for your first job or even before that is making sure you network with people in the industry that you want to be in right you research what the industry is about what skills they need and the people that already work in it because that can give you an understanding if it's going to be if it's even going to be a good fit for you, right? Because oftentimes you never really know if you're going to enjoy a career path until you start working the job, right? So connecting with people that have already done the jobs gives you that opportunity from one, wasting your time and second, making sure you do your best to acquire the skills that you need for the job. And also leveraging tools like LinkedIn where you can actually see um, there's a lot of public events that you know you'll find on LinkedIn networking events. Some are paid, some are free. So really using those tools to you know go to these attending these events, as Harmon said, yeah, to see if it's a good fit for yourself or not. Yeah, that's pretty much on our end. I really appreciate that Sahal came up with this question for us, and would love to hear some more questions from you on future topics. We'll have a couple other things that we'll be discussing in future episodes and bringing on some additional guests to uh, be on this podcast. We'll talk a little bit about how to get into the jewelry business, how to get into accounting and the software development side as well. See what those different career paths entail and what are maybe some of the hurdles and challenges they present in case you guys are interested. But we're definitely looking forward to more questions from you, whether that's on AI or business or just the market in general. And would love to hang out with you and continue to uh, present our best in Financially Turbulent. Sure. So any last notes for the audience, Kanwar? I do have one last important note. If you do have any sort of real estate question, you know who to reach out to. If you have any sort of question about the financial markets, you know who to reach out to. Yes. Be happy to answer any questions, even if it's not on the Financial Turbulent page. You can reach out to us, one of us individually. Any sort of industry questions, personal level questions, we'll be happy to answer. Perfect. On that note, guys, take care 
and we'll see you on the next one.